everyone and welcome to Back Chat. In this week's episode, I sat down with Deputy Director of Backbench Callum Henderson, along with Backbench contributor and patron Maddie Assan, to talk about the Conservatives. We won't get anywhere by metaphorically acquiring beards and, and string vests or allotments. I've not got nothing against beards. I hasten to say I tried to grow one over the summer. It's horrific. Casting our minds back to the trials and tribulations of the Tory party conference, we debated whether Theresa May's efforts to regain domestic support are a mess or a success. Here now with more news, debate and opinion. Hi guys, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks. Hello everyone. So today we're going to be discussing the Tories in the context of last week's Conservative Party conference. And naturally, while the leaders of the country debated how they should govern us, the story that dominated the media was Theresa May's rather robotic dance moves. But why do you think the media focused so much on this story? I mean, does the nation's media want the Prime Minister on Strictly Come Dancing? Well, I don't think ordinary voters pay that much attention to conference speeches um, and the specific details of the policy that she announces. So I think this is certainly a way that you can cut through to voters in a way that uh, an announcement on housing wouldn't. Um, Also, just an attempt to make her look more human and more successful after the last conference, which, as we all remember, was a bit of a disaster. So ironically, her robotic dance moves were trying to make her look more human. (laughs) Well, a lot of people's dancing is quite robotic, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I suppose when you think about it, I wouldn't have thought that my dad and Theresa May had much in common, but you are right, they both have a very similar dancing style. So I suppose in that way, maybe the coverage was successful. Yeah, I think um, trying to humanise May has always been um, quite a hot topic. Um, and I think I think the reason why it gets so much attention is because everyone can see that she's so uncomfortable um, when she tries to do anything that, that makes her more human. Um, I remember in the uh, last election when she was asked what the worst thing she had ever done in her life and she talked about running through a field of wheat and then the the um, ridicule that, that followed that. Um, so I think um, this dancing is just another <laughs> example of her trying to be, um, trying to seem more relatable um, and trying to come across as a little more relaxed. Um, I don't think it was um, a great success, but um, I think we'll probably see more of this um, in the future. While the coverage of her dance moves were fairly light-hearted, it did overshadow the contents of her speech, which called for an inquiry into the rail system, freezing the fuel duty, and an end to the cap on the amount that councils can borrow to build new homes, which... Yeah, I mean, they're not the most exciting topics, are they, really? Um, but these promises are fairly left-leaning for the Conservative Party and are part of May's bid to gain domestic popularity. What do you guys think about her policy ideas? I mean, do you think they will gain any traction? Um, well, I think there were some sort of eye-catching policies in there. Um, but I, I think overall the speech was quite light on policy. I think... I think it was more to do with um, positioning uh, the Tory party um, for after Brexit and making it competitive again, or at least making it competitive um, when it comes to an election. I think um, I think a lot of the things um, Theresa was saying in the speech was sort of showing the direction that the Tories wanted to go in, so obviously becoming a little more left-leaning or adopting some left-leaning policies. Um, 
And um, I mean, regardless of what you might think of the policies, I think it's good that um, May was able to um, to present some of these ideas because at least it shows that there's uh, more to the Conservatives uh, than Brexit, which I think is going to be important um, in the future. Um, yeah, you're right. There weren't that many big or exciting policy announcements. Uh, the two that stick in my mind were the, the sort of end of austerity promise and then the cancer treatments, uh, sort of early detection rate policy, which I thought was actually quite a good idea. That makes a refreshing change from what were generally sound bites before about the NHS. Um, the previous six months, she's just been promising more money without any real detail about where the money's coming from or what it's going to. Um, the sort of end of austerity one is a bit more problematic. I don't know how you can envisage with Brexit, it's just on the horizon how um, all this public spending cuts are finally going to be brought to an end. Um, and it seems a bit arbitrary considering that we've had, what, eight years of it now? And all that time promised that there was no alternative and then suddenly it's just announced out of the blue um, that it's coming to an end. Yeah, I think that's also interesting, um, especially in relation to the article that she wrote in The Observer because she covered much of the similar points of her speech and again she mentioned this end to austerity but didn't really give any detail as yeah. to how that would actually happen or as you say why this is suddenly happening now. But she did appear to be trying to poach Labour voters in this particular article. Um, and I also thought, I don't know if you guys have seen it or if listeners will have seen it, but the ending to the article was particularly interesting because she twisted Corbyn's slogan saying that Conservatives must be a party, not for the few, not even for the many, but for everyone who works hard and plays by the rules. But this is a, a quite an interesting move for the PM. And there has been talk that it could be part of preparations for another election. But why do you guys think she wrote this article and particularly why she chose The Observer, which is the Guardian's Sunday paper? Yeah, I saw the article um, and I was a bit shocked by the response to it, actually. Many people can understand why The Observer were, were running her message and saying that as a result, they were never going to buy the paper again, which I thought was a bit dramatic. Politicians often go to newspapers or forums that they're not typically welcomed in just to get their message across and I think this was what May was doing. Um, they, the Observer and The Guardian haven't been that enthusiastic about Corbyn, uh, particularly with regards to the anti-Semitism. There's been quite a lot of criticism from them. Um, I think she thinks she can win over people who are disgusted by that. Uh, yeah, also her policy was quite, I mean, it's promising it's trying to be a bit cleverer than Labour saying, you know, we're not just doing what they are. We're wanting a country that works for everyone who works hard. I think uh, choosing the Observer is just an attempt to sort of broaden um, the, the Tories' um, reach. Because um, I, I think um, May is conscious of um, the fact that um, now that Brexit's coming to an end, well, sort of, um, the the political debate is going to move more towards domestic policy. So I think she's really trying to present the Tories as a viable alternative uh, to Labour, um, especially when Brexit has taken up so much of the, the, the Tories' agenda. Um, so I think this is um, uh, this is an attempt by May to just make the Tories uh, seem like a party that people would actually want to vote for in, in any upcoming election, which... Um, which could come in the future. I mean, who knows? The politics has been very unpredictable um, for the last few years. But I, I think she, she's just trying to um, 
make prepare the Tory party a little bit and um, just try and broaden their reach and um, reach more voters. Stephen Bush from the New Statesman made some particularly intriguing comments about the article, and he dismissed that um, Theresa May was targeting Labour voters who don't like Jeremy Corbyn, as they tend to be, quote, older voters, leave voters and non-graduates who are not likely to read the Observer. Um, and rather, Stephen Bush suggested that May was trying to get Labour MPs to support her Brexit deal, as they tend to be the audience of the Observer. Do you think this perspective is valid? Um, it's it's possible. I mean, she might she might be seeking the help of some Labour MPs to get her um, Brexit deal through the through the Commons. Um, but it's probably more likely not that. And I, I think it, it's it's more. Um, I, I think I, I think with Labour MPs, I think when it comes down to it, it'll, it'll, the choice will be um, either the deal that May brings back or no deal. And I think considering how undesirable no deal is, I think they'll they'll vote for May's deal. So I don't I don't know how truly worried May is about getting Labour MPs on side, um, considering how dire um, the no deal scenario has been presented. I think she's trying to do a bit of both, actually. She knows it's going to be very tough to get um, people from her critics in her own party on the side of her, her come the uh, vote in the Commons. I think some elements of Labour need to be won over, and she thinks it's possible. I noticed even just in the last couple of days, some centrist MPs, such as Gloria, Gloria Di Piero, um, if that's how you pronounce her name, God knows, uh, she just re- said that Brexit should go ahead. I mean, she's not a fan of Corbyn at all, um, and she's not exactly very left-wing. So I think she may see that there's some elements in Labour that can still be won over. Whatever the precise motives of the article, it is clear that um, Theresa May, with the Conservatives as, as a whole, need to regain domestic popularity. According to the 2017 British Social Attitude Survey, 48% of people want higher tax and more spending, which is an increase from 32% in 2010. Do you think May is doing enough to respond to the shift in public mood towards more centre-left policies? I don't think she's doing enough, and I think it might be too late as well. She has adopted some of the sort of Milibandier policies, like the freeze on energy bills, um, which she boasted about in the Observer article as well, something that they just shamelessly took from the Miliband manifesto, and uh, fuel duty is frozen for the ninth year in a row, I think it is. I'm not sure if she can turn her image around now if an election is going to be sooner rather than later. Um, She may end up in a similar situation to what happened with David Cameron. I mean, he spent years posing as a Eurosceptic and then had to, at the last minute, pretend he was Mr. Remainer. Um, But by that time, he'd run out of time. I think if May suddenly starts presenting herself as a centrist in the coming years, it's going to be, given all that she said about Brexit and that, that we had to listen to her path, I think she's going to have a bit of trouble convincing the people. I think it could work, adopting some left-leaning policies. Um, but I think in doing that, what she needs to be careful of is um, not to depart too far away from the really core conservative base. And I think that was a mistake she made uh, during the election and with the manifesto launch. Um, and I think the conservatives ended up um, losing seats that they had actually held for quite a long time. So I, I think she needs to have the right balance between um, appeasing sort of the core traditional conservative voters whilst also sort of going into leaning 
a little more left to gain some new voters to try and um, strengthen the support for the, the Tories. But I think time will tell whether these policies will fly or not. So in a previous episode of Backchat, we took a look at some of the headlines that were published in relation to the Labour Party conference. And I thought it might be amusing to do a similar thing. Um, so on to story number one. BuzzFeed published a story with the headline, the Tories candidate for London mayor once wrote that good looking girls tend to have been around. The article criticised Sean Bailey, who was selected as the Conservative candidate for London mayor last month. He made the statement in a 2005 pamphlet when he was working as a West London youth worker. Labour said the comments constituted appalling sexism and misogyny, but Bailey defended them as reflecting what he had seen as a youth worker. Maddy, bearing in mind we've just discussed that the Tories need to regain popularity domestically, what do you think about this story? Uh, I mean, I think things like this are inevitable. When when you're in the, the, the spotlight, and especially when you're contending for London Mayor, um, you're going to have stories like this and people challenging things that you've said a long time ago. But I think um, for the Tories not to, for this not to hurt the Tories, I think they need to, make sure that, that, that they don't get sucked into um, the shifting of the debate from actual policy to um, personal politics, um, which is, seems to be what Labour's trying to do. I think um, the people of London are more worried about um, policies that will actually deliver and, and resolve some of the problems um, in the area, particularly on knife crime. So I think as long as the Tories can focus on promoting that message, um, instead, instead of um, spending so much tra- time trying to defend stories like this, then I think they'll 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 be okay. Uh, but if they get sucked into the personality politics, then I think that's going to be a problem. Uh, yeah, it's a sort of slightly sinister and slightly annoying aspect of modern politics that because all of what you said is online now, comments that you made maybe 13 or even 20 years ago can be traced to you and then used as a weapon against you. Almost anything you said. Um, they obviously don't show him in that good a light, but he's obviously tried to justify it as well. I think for the Tories to win back London, they really need someone with um, proper star quality who can actually transcend gaffes like this. I'm talking about someone like Boris Johnson, annoyingly, um, who was quite unique in winning London twice. I think it's very difficult for another Tory to win London um, again without having some real uh, panache or skill at overcoming these things. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look particularly great for him. Um, But moving on to the second story. On the 10th of October, the Evening Standard published the headline, Sajid David named the most influential Londoner. And this related to the Progress 1000 list created by the paper and a panel of experts to select those who did the most to break down barriers and enhance the capital's reputation as the preeminent city of opportunity in the world. So obviously, George Osborne was the ex-chancellor under David Cameron and is now the editor of the Evening Standard. There also have been rumours of an attempted coup around Theresa May. So do we think this article is a bid by Osborne to back Sajid Javid as a new leader? I think so. Um, I mean, Javid himself has sort of been sounding out possibilities of a leadership bid, either now or in a couple of years down the line. At the conference, he made this slightly bizarre speech in which he talked about his own origin story, like you do when you're a leader or a potential leader. And he also announced the sort of tough new migration regime, which would have actually present, prevented his own father from getting into the country. Uh, so that was a bit bizarre. But I think he was attempting at least to present himself as a sort of new Tory. Uh, I think also Osborne has realised that he's underestimated May 
Um, if you remember, he was the one behind all these dead women walking headlines after the election and has been one of our sharpest critics. I think I read online that Osborne insisted on making Javid this top Londoner, um, however much this award really matters. And I don't think he's even a London MP, although I might be wrong. I think he just is from London originally, which does suggest that something else is going on, like potential leadership uh, plotting. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it's any secret that Osborne is not a great fan of, of, uh, of Theresa May. Um, and it's, this is probably a way for him to, to get back at her. But I, I think he has picked a, a decent candidate in, in, in uh, Sajid David, uh, Javid um, for potential leadership. But I, I think I think any talk about leadership at this time is a bit premature. And I actually, I actually think if, if the Tories are going to go for a new leader, it needs to be someone with a fresh, fresh face. So um, I think this is more Osborne um, trying to get at May rather than... Um, actually trying to um, uh, select a candidate that will be good for the party in the future. But uh, we'll see in the future when um, maybe this leadership talk uh, heats up a little bit more. On to the last article. On the 11th of October, the BBC ran a story about John Major's comment that universal credit could repeat poll tax problems. Speaking on the BBC's Political Thinking podcast, Sir John, who was the Prime Minister from 1990 until 1997, said the theory behind the reform was impeccable and entirely logical, but warned against it being introduced too soon and in the wrong circumstances. For any listeners who aren't aware, universal credit is a new benefit for working age people that consolidates six separate benefits into one monthly payment. And the poll tax was Thatcher's policy to make local council finance fairer, but led to riots and a rebellion in the Conservative Party, which contributed to the fall of the Iron Lady. And Sir John Major scrapped the poll tax when he replaced Mrs Thatcher in Downing Street. Again, this article suggests that Conservative infighting is very much alive. Could Major's comments further damage the party's bid for popularity? Um, I actually kind of agree with Major um, in that I think the Tories, in order for them to be popular or to have the respect of voters, I think they need to be seen as more pragmatic than ideologically driven. So, I mean, if the rolling out of universal credit's not working, then they should stop and figure out why it's not working and improve it rather than pushing ahead with it. Um, even even if it's a, you know a good idea in principle, and I, I think that doing that would gain more respect um, from the voters. So I I do see um, where Major's coming from. There have been quite a lot of interventions from John Major in the last couple of years, mostly about Brexit. I think the fact that he's now speaking about another policy is quite interesting. I mean, you can see the similarities between universal credit and the poll tax. Both were attempts to sort of strip down complexities of an old policy and replace them with a new one. Um, I doubt the poll tax, um, the universal credit is going to lead to the same sort of rioting and disputes that the poll tax did, as not everyone is actually being forced to pay the poll tax, uh, the universal credit, whereas benefits are only going out to a minority. Um, as for pop- popularity, yeah, I think it does give off the impression that the Tories are still being quite ide- ideological um, and sort of stingy towards the vulnerable. It's not exactly a great look, and I'm sure it's one Corbyn would be very comfortable with exploiting. So, yeah, we should probably stop there. Um, but thanks again for coming on to the podcast, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Here now with more news, debate and opinion.
the end of the episode. You can continue the conversation by writing an article for Backbench and if you enjoyed the episode, which hopefully you did, please rate, review and subscribe. See you next week.